Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 52. 52 episodes, 52 weeks in a year. So yeah, this is the we're, we're putting the cap on year one. And I'm really excited to see where this show goes for year two. But I want to thank all of you for listening and supporting the show, uh, sending me notes, sending me messages, saying hey in person, just that you're digging it. It's been a, a, I was always looking forward to doing one of these, but I had no idea how rewarding it was going to be just creatively on an education level and a communication level. Um, I picked up, you know, just playing around with mace training. It's been very cool having sort of my training philosophy challenged and in some ways validated, but it's always nice to actually have a challenge and, and see what floats in my own mindset, listening to people smarter than me. So thank you for being a part of all this. I definitely have to give a bunch of shout outs right now. So this podcast wouldn't exist without Strength Faction and the blog that Todd Bumgarner wrote on how to do a podcast. Now, people have asked me to share that. Unfortunately, that is for Strength Faction members. On the bright side, you can sign up for Strength Faction right now. Enrollment's open for the fall setting and um, for the fall semester. So come and check that out. But Todd, thank you, brother. This show wouldn't be there without you. And also for just being somebody that I reach out to very directly when I need help. You become not just a, a friend and a brother, but a mentor, uh, and I appreciate you, man. Uh, I got to thank all the guests. There's been a lot of people on the show, some close friends, some friends I don't see enough, some people I barely knew and wanted to know more. And it has been very cool um, getting to know people and spending quality time. It, it, it's kind of amazing how uh, this format, or at least how I try to run this as a, just a conversation, um, allows you to get like a real good insight into somebody as opposed to trying to put on like a, a fitness front um, or a public front for it. So thank you all the guests for taking the time out and doing this. Everyone does this show for free. No one's getting paid for it. And uh, I just, I really appreciate that. I have to thank the Films of Fury pod squad. So Tony Ramo, Jen Bartholomeo, Emily Rowe, uh, Glenn Urieta who showed up, Lisa Spodak. Um, thank you so much for being a part of that. And I look forward to having more Films of Fury episodes with the pod squad. And Laura Palmer from Screaming Rebel Angels who took on the voiceover about two months ago. It just the show sounds so much better with your voice, Laura. And folks like Laura is the Screaming Rebel Angels, which is just an awesome rock band. Look it up and check it out. I'll put it, uh, the link on the show notes. They're rocking. I think they're coming to California now uh, on a tour. So check them out. And then the FTW, uh, Mike Dolan, the Major Nelson, JJ, thank you for letting me use the FTW's music. Uh, again, pluses up the show dramatically. And you can find out where to find the info on them at the FTW.NYC um, at the end of the show. Rich Carpenter, the Die Mighty logo. I love you, brother. I have ideas for you and I to do something together, by the way, uh, a project. Working on it. You'll be hearing from me soon. If you're not hearing this now, because then you're hearing from me now, but not in person. Weird podcast stuff, right? Got to think about that. And then also, the contributors, right? The patrons from Patreon. James Newman, Brian McMaster, Victor Reyes, Julian Cardus, and Jason Giles. Guys, thank you so much. If you listen to the first episodes 
first episodes of this show to now, the sound quality has gotten dramatically better because those guys pitch in just a buck or two every episode and it's allowed me to save up to get the microphone because this is this show's a lot of work. I want it to be good, but before I worried about how quality it was in terms of sound quality and production quality, I just wanted to get it rolling. So uh, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. And thank you anybody that subscribed or reviewed or again messaged me. Uh, it's much appreciated. I'm gonna have one favor. If you've listened to three or more episodes of this show, please send me like a set up on iTunes, like a little re, uh, a rating, even if it's just, just hitting the stars or a review. I would like the people that come on the show to get more, um, more notice, a, a bigger audience, and that's how those algorithms work. We're sort of a trap to them. So if you could drop a review, only if you've done three, because then I feel like, hey, maybe that's a cool, celebrate the year with me and, uh, and the guest and give a review. So, today's guest, I haven't thanked the person yet. Today's guest is the most collaborative person on the day-to-day, week-to-week that I work with on this show that we create together. And that is Glenn Murrieta. You hear his name at the end of every podcast. You see his art every time a podcast goes out. He does those amazing, totally custom for every episode, Godzilla, sometimes uh, Transformers, sometimes Ultraman. Um pieces of art. He's a comic book artist that worked that I worked with back in the day. You're going to hear about how we met and I'm very excited to have Glenn. It just seems so fitting to have him as the guest closing this out. Before you hear Glenn and I chat, let's talk about some workshops that are coming up because it's kind of crazy. We're already starting to go into 2019 now, right? So I'm going to be doing an intro to kettlebell juggling and the CAT system workshop. CAT is kettlebell athletic training. This is the system started by Gus Peterson, and that's how I started to learn kettlebell juggling. So if you see me on my social media practicing this summer, uh, it's super fun, and it's been helping with my coordination and just my overall work capacity because your brain, your hand-eye has to work. And for OS heads, there's so much like hand-eye um, midline crossing things happening. It's really kind of wonderful and falls in beautifully with that. So I was telling Gus, like, hey, Gus, I want to bring you and Karen out next year, but I'd like to do a quick workshop just to, like, people see juggling and they think it's cool and then they think it's crazy or too dangerous. And if you know the steps, it's actually super safe. So Gus put together a curriculum for a two-hour intro workshop. So I'm going to be teaching that in Prospect Park, Brooklyn, and it's only $35 the first week if you sign up this week, and it'll be $50 after that, 20-person limit. And that's September 16th at 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, and we're going to learn how to safely set people up, whether you're an enthusiast or a trainer, to juggle kettlebells. And just as importantly, just to have fun with some like-minded kettlebell geeks in the sun flipping bells. So come and do that. And then DVRT level one and two certifications. Uh, folks, yeah, you're going to learn all about the ultimate sandbag at this thing. But more importantly, you're going to learn how to program and progress and regress people safely. Not just through sagittal plane moves, right? Like the basic sagittal plane moves, which are still super valuable. But also how to start really introducing and expanding upon frontal plane and um, transverse plane stuff, rotational stuff. So come and check out that uh, MSC Strength in Boston. That's on September 22nd and 23rd. Original Strength Pressing Reset returns to MFF Bowery. You can see my image on the window at MFF Bowery, and then you can hear me teach this course. Um, that's going to be January 13th, 2019, MFF Bowery in the city. The RKC Kettlebell Certification at Momentum Fitness, March 2nd and 3rd. We already got some real cool people training up for that one. I'm excited to do that. And then uh, it's not listed yet, but we're gonna have an HKC one-day kettlebell certification at MFF Bowery on March 10th. 
Thank you everybody for listening to all that stuff. Head on over to coachfury.com, hit the workshop page or any of the other stuff and you can find out about all of these workshops. I have a sale going on. This is the month that we got Ramona Flowers, our dog, uh, assistant coach Ramona Flowers. So we're having a Ramona's Gotcha Month sale where you can get 30% off your first month of classes here. And I'm having a sale on personal training if you want to train with me out in Gowanus, South Slope, Brooklyn. Uh, I'm here for you. But now it's time to get to the show. Enough. That was a long intro. I apologize. This is my least favorite part of this show. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Episode 52. Let's close out year one strong with Glenn Urieta. We're hitting, this is episode 52. So this is the full, wrapping up the full first year of the Coach Fury podcast, which is uh, unbelievable in its own right. But more unbelievable, uh, listeners, is that my buddy Glenn, Glenn Urieta, who you hear, we say his name uh, wonderfully better than I do now by Laura Palmer at the, the outro of the show. Um, Glenn and I used to work together. I would try to bring him on as often as I could as a freelancer on commercial work, whether it was for storyboards or design elements, um, previs stuff. And Glenn reached out when he heard about the podcast and offered up, hey, if you'd like some thumbnails. <laughs> and now, fifth, I think there's only been two bonus episodes and the Fury on Fury episode and the intro. So of total 50 five things we've put out you have done 51 drawings so far (laughs) um and folks i've said this before as we were hitting like milestones glenn is the most interactive collaborative person i work with on this show obviously when the guests are on we're we're having a collaborative you know discussion but glenn after every episode uh after i recorded or i know who's coming on i have an idea i message him on facebook something fucking ridiculous and he's and he's just like Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do it. So like, for example, episode 51, Matt Wilson, part two, Godzilla. I think it literally, I think the words were Godzilla on a unicycle juggling cars. <laughs> yeah, that was literally, that was literally the thing. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. And he does it. And the pictures come out great where it's to the point where one of the, the, one of the most rewarding parts of this process for me now is every Monday I do my little check-in. Hey, Glenn, how's the art look coming? And he gives me like, you know, an ETA on one it's coming. And then it's the boom, it's in the folder. And I can't wait every time to check out that the art's there. And continuously surprises me and it's just awesome. Um, so I wanted, before we get into like the actual discussion of this podcast, dude, I want to say thank you uh, for being so generous and for being down for the cause and and helping out because I think, you know, I think the show's gotten better. I'm trying to be better, but your artwork elevates it just by being there because it's so uh, uniquely me and in a way, I guess, uniquely us. Right. But it also helps the show stand out. Now, again, within a small thing, it's not so much about the show standing out, but as, as a comic book nerd, it's crazy what you do. So um, let, let's start from the beginning of this podcast. What was the impetus to reach out? What, 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 what sort of made you want to reach out? Um, well, okay, so we, we worked together a bunch of times uh, when you were producing and I was a freelancer. And I remember you were walking around the studio and you had like a five points shirt on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a quiet guy and I'm pretty awkward. So when I saw that, I, at the time I was training in martial arts. So I saw that and I was curious and I, I asked you what you were doing. And you said that 
you, I, I don't know, I think you were just training in weightlifting or strength training, and uh, but then you leaned over and you're like, I, I don't think I've been doing this, you know, the, the, the commercial <laughs> stuff much. Like, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm leaving to to do uh, personal training, and I remember thinking like, okay, I don't, that that was that was a personal interaction that I wasn't prepared for, and uh, and also that. You know, I'd go into your office, you and Mark, and, and we'd just hang out, and you'd have, like, you know, the, the Stormtrooper helmets up and, the, you know, all this cool stuff, and you're working in, you know, some film-adjacent stuff, or, you know, we worked on that, uh, what was that uh, project? The Pirates Lego stuff. Oh, that was it. You storyboarded with Mark the Pirates of the Legos thing, which was actually, well, we had met before that, hadn't we, though? I feel like we've, we've, yeah, we've that, done... That was, that was not my first first gig there but but um but yeah. that was actually one of my that was a swan song project right. uh, i'm gonna ask you to speak up a little bit let's just like forcibly okay. talk a little louder okay. but yeah so at the end of those days mm-hmm. i was really burnt out on the business and it wasn't the company's uh fault at all click 3x which is the company i did my last full year in visual effects as a staff employee or as an employee in visual effects was was like such a highlight um because I was able to bring in a lot of friends and Mark and I were super tight. I actually, when my marriage fell apart, I was like his roommate for a little while. Oh, really? uh, yeah. So uh, it's funny when you mentioned the stormtrooper mask, my okay. Cupid profile pic was me with that mask on. <laughs> and I still ended up meeting Kim somehow. She still reached out to me. Um, but I remember, you know, there's this thing when you're like, yeah, that was like a personal conversation. Hmm. I don't know about for you, but one of the things that I found a lot of, and I myself admit getting caught up in it, in, in, in the advertising visual effects world, there was so much competition and so much shit talking. And I know as a producer, I tried to rally around my artists and around my team, um, probably um, as a producer, not as a, as a management role. I mean, even as a management role, but more so than the actual company, maybe. Like when like, people are just trying to get jobs at low cost and blah, blah, blah. They're always trying to protect the team. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound, sound altruistic about it. But it was definitely one of those grinds on my souls. But like you'd meet people that would come in that like on a high stress job, if you know that they can crush it and you were one of those guys, um, I would get more connected with you, at least in the workforce mode, close quicker. I I don't know if that sounds creepy or not, but um, it's like, you know, I don't want to say battlefront because it seems dismissive of people that have been in battlefronts. But when you're kind of going to war on a spot or a creative challenge, you want to know who could pull stuff off for you. And uh, you were one of those cats. So, but I was also like at the Lego times, I was so fucking over it. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember this detail, but we, I, I was there for two days, just cranking out frames after frame. And then you were like, like, all right, let's, you, Mark pulled me into the office and there's you and, and a few other people. They just change all the script. So let's go get lunch <laughs> and just reset and like let's calm down. And you everybody was really stressed. And I was like, hey, whatever. Like whatever needs to happen, we'll we'll, we'll take care of it. But uh, but I mean I, I draw. I didn't have to worry about all the other stuff that you guys have to take care of, managing, you know, different teams and stuff. So I felt bad for, for you guys. But to to go back to your original question, when so that that was my interaction with you and you left. And then I think, you know, Facebook being what it is. Mm-hmm. So I kept in 
kept an eye on whatever stuff that you were doing and you had posted the blog, that blog post about, about wanting to be stronger to play with your kids. That was like the official birth of the Die Mighty. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I reposted it and, you know, we weren't close or anything, but I thought, you know, I've, I've, I've got a son and, and family and, uh, you know, you, that was for somebody that was close in age and doing something similar that I was doing and had left to go pursue something that meant a lot to you and fortified a relationship with your family, which is something that doesn't ever really get brought up in those circles and that freelance, you know, filmmaking kind of thing. A lot of that stuff takes a back seat. Everybody pats himself on the back for, for oh, I did another all nighter. I haven't seen my family. Like that, that wasn't important to me. So, so I kept an eye on your stuff. And then when you said that you were going to do a podcast, and that's everything that I listened to when I worked, I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I started doing more challenges, um, like the daily challenge in, in October. There's Inktober and all these different things. So I had done a couple of years of that. And I was like, you know what? I can, I'm going to hop on. Steve's train if he if he uh if he's cool with it so I can give myself something to do and uh challenge myself every every week so that's uh that's how that came about dude it's awesome and again I, I'm so appreciative of it that you, like sometimes I'll ask but like, I'm doing a bonus episode you don't need to do a picture for this one because I feel bad and he'll be like I'll try or yeah. you'll submit something or whatever like um it's cool and 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 you know, it's, uh, folks, let's talk about like, so those Lego, those Lego things, let's, let's talk about like to get an understanding of the process that like, uh, Glenn and I would do. So like, we did a lot of work with Lego at, at click three X and Mark. And a lot of it was some of the coolest stuff that I've actually been involved in. And so, you know, a company comes with you with an idea or a script, and then you do the storyboard and Mark was the creative director slash lead compositor, well, slash, yeah, lead comp compositor. And we got Glenn on to do the, you know, to draw the comic book style, the, the storyboards. Like if anybody's seen like a behind the scenes, you know, this stuff's, I guess, more commonly aware of what people do now than, yeah. than back in the day. And, you know, the thing is on the, on the back end of that, you've got your effects team, your, your animation team in New York working on it. But then you've also got an overseas team of companies that are working on it because the budget is such and the, turnaround time is, is such that it would be like making like a feature film for a series of, uh, I think they were like 60 to 90 second commercials. They were for the fourth, third, fourth, I think the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. So if you've got the Blu-rays, I don't know if the recent releases have it, if anybody wants to watch these, I'm sure they're online, but it was like uh, uh, Captain Jack's Tales or something like that. And it was like four, four videos. And they were coming out super creative, but like between that and doing a bunch of subway commercials and the subway crew was really cool. Like I, I was just done. <laughs> I was so done. And, you know, clearly in hindsight, there was stuff that, um, you know, at home that was probably starting to brew. Cause you know, about like eight months after my marriage ended, but you mentioned something important that I think applies to a lot of people that how like people celebrate and I've done it too, how hard you've worked, like how, Wow, man, I'm working. I'm on my I'm on my thirtieth day straight. You know, I had to stay at the hotel the other night because of X, right. and it became such a part of our culture to be hosed. And as budgets came down, and as you know, quality of life starts to dwindle, like you you buy into that for a while because it's exciting. What we do, there is a a creative element of excitement, especially when the a good job comes along. Some of these things are like you know shitty projects. 
But then like I started to have this perspective outside of it as I started to get older and I, I, I sort of like, I knew that I had hit the highest mark that I probably was gonna hit in visual effects, you know, where I was like, you know, executive producer, um, made a shit ton of money. And then I started seeing the downside of how management was and I was getting wrapped up uh, and I'm sure a lot of shit talking was happening my way and I'm sure I was not the nicest guy, um, most professional on other ways. And I'm like, there's got to be something better where, like, I know I'm going to go broke on this. Um, I, I, and just, you know, I knew it. I knew it. I was literally leaving six figures to make, like, maybe 20 to 30 grand. Right. And, you know, because I was doing as much as I could part-time at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those decisions. Like, I, you know, I, I just, I always viewed my job as, like, yes, the money helps support my family me bringing my friends on um, to jobs and to help support and protect my create my teams, you know, helps them. So there's like a thing there. Um, an old creative director, uh, it's not creative director, an old producer once told me like when it, when, whenever the commercial seems too fucking shallow, just remember you're stimulating the economy. And for a lot of what I tried to do was like, okay, that's like a thing until I couldn't just buy into that being a thing. Really, that 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 worked as a motivating factor. Yeah, a little bit because we were working on such like, and it wasn't so much. Uh, you know, I was doing a lot of pharmaceuticals when I first started out. We were doing stuff for like Neosporin, uh, Lipitor, um, uh, shit. What else? And the teams were all cool. So you know, you know what I mean. It's like the, the for the most part, you're working with good people, right. and I, I was very fortunate to have a lot of people rally behind me. Coming into a film nerd, uh, I did not expect to go into advertising, but being a film nerd helped dramatically. Because I could speak creative speak, I could relate to scenes and stuff like that. Uh, film major, uh, but you know, you suddenly you ha- you know, I'm like, uh, I guess approaching middle age, and I'm like, well, I have the house, I have the wife, I have the two kids, I have the car, I have the decent salary. I've already made adjustments in my life because I didn't. I, I realized I didn't want to be management uh, at that point because I'd just been lied to and bitched at so many times. And I'm like, well, unless I'm an owner, I'm not going to work for somebody in this capacity. Uh, and then I also realized like I didn't want to be an owner and I had people reaching out trying to start businesses. And I'm like, you know, I don't want all that on me, even in a small capacity. I don't, you know, yeah, maybe right now I could bring in a couple million dollars worth of business to a company, but what if that ends, <laughs> you know? And so I took the shot. And the one thing I'll say is like, I still struggle. Some years are way better than others. This year I went out, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm 18 months into my own, a little less than that into my own business. And I'm not making as much as I was making the last three years yet, yet. Right. Um, but it's on my own terms. You know, it's a, it's a different type of struggle. Um, and I'm just stoked that it resonated with you uh, in any way. Um, I will say I genuinely try to be a better guy. And I think every year I'm a better guy and I'm certainly a better coach. Uh, and if you talk to my kids, they're rad. And even though it's definitely affected them and stuff, like my kids crush it. So if there is a takeaway from that, you know, money is really not everything, you know, uh, there, there's, there's bigger things to kind of deal with and you have to be realistic. You know, I knew that I could make probably at some point a decent hourly rate. Um, I never expected to travel and have a podcast and do blogs and bleed, you know, all that stuff. I, I had no idea that was part of this process. It's one of the coolest things that I see, you know, uh, before we started doing this, I see your, your post, like, oh, I'm, I'm off to Japan and you're doing like, your stretches in an airport I'm like, man, that's cool man <laughs> you get paid to, to travel the world and see things that uh, a kid from long island typically wouldn't have uh, had on his bucket list 
You know what's cool? It's part of it is also in traveling, even you know, in the states or outside, and, and working with you. It's uh, one of the things I want to talk about on the show is you start to meet people that are just making their dreams happen, right? Like the the interesting thing that I find now is there's so much millennial bashing and 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 that type of deal that's going on. And on the flip side of that, you know, a lot of millennials and younger folks they have so much opportunity to look at things differently that they're just not viewing it like we do. And like some of it's the participation award entitlement thing for sure. But I'm not going to blame that on the generation or a phone. I'm going to blame that on shitty parenting. Um, because, you know, nobody wants to say that. Everybody wants to say it's an age. Well, it's your fucking parents that are messing up that age. Hmm. Like my kids, like, you know, they, we draw this line. I mean, they, my, you know, my son in particular loves to be on the iPad watching things like people play Fortnite. Right. And oh, then really? he likes and then he likes to play Fortnite. Okay. And I don't understand the watching people play part, but I also make sure he we we make sure he takes times to read. Mm-hmm. He learned how to swing a kettlebell today. Um <laughs> you know, we balance it out and we're supportive. I don't hit my kids. I don't really I mean I'll raise my voice, but I don't like scream and curse at them or anything. And you know what? They crush it. So when everybody's like bashing millennials, I think some of it's jealousy on our part that there's more opportunity in certain ways. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're Gen Xers and, and they have the same shit to talk about us when, when we were in high school and stuff. And, and, uh, and it doesn't, I mean, in my experience, it doesn't bear out these, uh, these hot takes on, on millennials and the younger generation because everybody down here that I interact with um, in some sort of like organizing or, or activism space, they're all young. They're all just out of college and, and they're motivated to, to, to do something to make a mark on the world. So I don't really see, I mean, I see the laziness. I see people complacency and, and, and young kids just trying to get laid and that's fine. That, that, that's what they need to do, but they're also putting in the work and getting up early and, and not getting the sleep that they probably should as a parent, you should sleep more, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're working. And is that complacency like new though? I mean, that's the thing. Like I, 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 that it's, it's so mislabeled. I mean, I've never really been into sports, but I had the skateboard and I've had a BMX bike off and on. And, you know, I, I remember being in high school with, with one of my best friends and like, we'd hang out and like, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Get laid by GI Joe toys. And we didn't know what getting laid was, you know what I mean? Like it was just like, but like, you know, that was the eighties and that was like, you know, the birth of the cable generation, right? Like we really sat the buttons yeah you know so you sat and you watched tv all day or you went out with your friends and you know in the 90s we had the whole everyone seems to have forgotten the whole slacker vibe thing that happened right slacker culture which was like literally do nothing now it's different now it's like you know like maybe don't go to job but maybe you're an entrepreneur doing your own thing off your laptop and making some money i think it's hard for some people to understand that this social media stuff is you can monetize it i'm not very good at doing it i'm still trying to figure that out but you know we live in a generation or we're close to it where you know our kids can go to an online school or not at all because all the access to information is right up there on the interwebs yeah and instead of investing hundreds of thousand dollars in school loans they can actually put it into their own business or their own project you know like i i don't regret film school in any way because it 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 was a step to get me here I, i actually loved my you know year and a half at NYU I went in as a transfer 
but you know, the money spent on all the other stuff, trying to get to that and find myself, I, I probably should have just traveled. I should have grabbed my skateboard and gone out. And I didn't follow that dream. Cause I was like, I need to go. I need to go to college. I need to find myself. I need to get good grades. I knew I wanted to get married to my high school girlfriend at the time. Like I had all these steps. Now I would kind of just be like, I was like, if you don't want to go, go travel, go do something. You know, I, I, I think about that too. Cause you know, my son's, uh, 20 and he's in uh, college and stuff and I, I think about how do you have a 20 year old son <laughs> started early you age very very well <laughs> but um but yeah you know I think about you know I have those lamentable thoughts about like oh I, I should have done this that the money would have been better spent somewhere else but if I kind of slipstreamed right into that track of like these are what you're supposed to do you graduate high school you go to college you do this and that gave me enough structure to have at least some sort of goal in mind because if I just was like I'm gonna float and do whatever because I did that after I graduated and I, it took like a decade of fucking around to, to realize no I should be doing visual art I should be doing that because I, I went out to LA after I graduated and I worked in film and then I I acted a bunch and I was doing theater and all these different things and, and as fun as it was and, and I have a bucket full of, of, of stories and, and experiences like it always came back to comics and drawing just you know wanting to, to build worlds and, and, and you know read and write more so let me ask you so when you were growing up so we, we were definitely uh, both comic book nerds like if we lived in the same town we would definitely have met at the at the comic book shop. Where did, where did you grow? So I grew up in Levittown, Long Island. Right. So Heroes World Comics was always my local one. And I ended up actually working there while I was editing my NYU thesis after I graduated. So yeah, folks, Rich, a big, big catch working at a comic book shop part-time. <laughs> I had a Steenbeck 16 millimeter flatbed editor in my bedroom at my folks' house for a while. I had to rent one. And my dad hated me for it because it was, you know, monstrous and I made people get it up the stairs. But I'm one of the last generations, I think, of NYU that cut film. But going back to like, so you, you knew you loved to draw. You, you were into comic books like I was. I was always into comic books and movies. Did you have any idea back then that like being a comic book artist could actually be a reality as a profession or some aspect of that as a profession? Yeah, well, uh, when I was in high school, um, that was when Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, they were banging away at Marvel and selling like millions of copies of X-Men number one or Spider-Man. You know, they had relaunched a bunch of that stuff. So, and then they, they broke off and went and started Image. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm gonna, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a, a comic Because I just, I, I, you know, like, ooh, I wanted to draw. But as a kid, so yeah, I want to yeah. rock star, man. It's rad. And then, uh, and then I went to school and I realized how much work was involved. But I loved it, you know? <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting thing because so I was pretty much a high school fuck up, like classic underachiever. But I, I you know, I, I tried to just skate as much as I could. And, um, you know, I had good groups of friends. And then when I got out, I went to the community, Nassau Community College, a.k.a. grade 13 and 14, <laughs> and slowly went from like liberal arts to communications to TV and radio. And then I spent a, a year in Southampton College in Long Island. 
that was like, a, it was great to have friends and I skateboarded and saw a lot of great concerts, but for education purposes, it was like just a fucking waste. And then I got into NYU, not thinking that it was going to be possible. I had some work actually from Nassau Community College that I had done in the TV program that got me in. And, you know, and then I graduated. And one of the things that stuck with me is one of the professors, David Irving, he was actually the director, uh, Amy Irving's brother, Steven Spielberg's first wife's brother, oh, and uh, the director of uh, Chud 2, Bud the Chud, Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers 2. And David was awesome. He was a big uh, Kira Kurosawa fan, and, and that, had a, that stuck with me. So David Irving, you will never listen to this podcast and probably don't remember me, but uh, between you and Peter Ray, you two folks like really had an impact on me. But he said, like, look, there's not a lot of jobs for directors in terms of film, and it's super risky, but you could always find these other avenues to work within the field, right? So that was always in the back of my head. But, you know, I graduated, and it took me a long time to get my shit together to, to finish a film. I, I admittedly was a little lost in the process of film and sound editing when you were literally cutting and splicing tape, like making sure you had all the right offsets and tracking, your, you know, your uh, edge codes. Like, folks, it was a fucking nightmare. It, it, I'm super grateful on one end that I've had that experience because it's so old school, but it's like video is just crazy. The mini DV was coming out like around that time and like the early like premieres and stuff. Um, and, you know, I look back and it's like the thing, I, I think if I had known or realized that like it was possible to have a career in film or TV or something in high school, I probably would have been more focused on it, but I had no idea. It was just this magical thing you know, that other people do. So I always view that, I think skateboarding the same way. Like there's no way to be a pro skateboarder. I'm not that good, but like, I, maybe I could have been a filmer. Maybe I could have been like, you know, try to run a brand, like who knows? But I always discounted so much of the shit that I was into as like, that's not a thing that like is feasible. Were your parents like uh, super supportive or just sort of hands off or? Well, <laughs> dad i love you we have a much better relationship now if you listen to this my mom was super supportive i'm an only child my dad and i did not get along whatsoever and he was in my opinion horribly unsupportive so uh, i was fairly spoiled in a way because like things would elevate into big fights and then like you know like there would suddenly be like a new skateboard deck or i you know i would get my way somehow oh really um so no on that end it wasn't really supportive like uh but, you know, it definitely also helped me build up my, like, you know, punk rock attitude of, like, you know, I don't really feel like I, you know, I had plenty of friends. Hold on, Ramona's barking at somebody. She's just so disrespectful of this podcast. Um, I had a lot of friends, but even within them, I, I just never felt like I fully, fully fit in with the exception of a couple. And I think, you know, being into skateboarding and, and sort of having that disconnect with my folks and the music that I was into all helped define who I am. And I'm super grateful for that. I was clearly a much angrier person where it's funny now when I look back on high school, I actually think more about the good stuff where I know a lot of us get stuck on the bad stuff. Um, like a lot of people get caught like in the, the really shitty parts of high school. And it's funny now looking back on it that I really look at the freedom and the friends I had as opposed to like, yeah, I was a complete pizza face. Like that fucking tormented me for a while that I was like a complete chubby pizza face, right? With a mullet. This was the, you know, late, you know, late eighties, nineties. 
you know, but I had the board, I had the music and I had friends and I was pretty good on a board comparatively speaking until handrails kicked in. Like I, you know, I could hold my own until handrails and then I'd get hurt. And then I became a, a really scared about that stuff. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that, 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 that angst though. Um, mm-hmm. although I think I spent a long time embracing it more than I should have been done trying to, uh, cope with it. If that makes yeah. sense. No, no, I, I'm in the same boat down to the, down to the, the my, my first, uh, deck was uh tony hawk the yellow one with the like it was like a red cross iron cross oh yeah that was my first deck but yeah I, similar similar trajectory as far as, as as that kind of stuff goes uh, but so when when did the switch like how did you approach when it was like all right i'm gonna get my shit together and i'm gonna try to become a comic book artist like how old were you around that was happening and what was your plan of attack uh i mean well, I went, I went to school of visual arts in the cartooning and illustration department. So it was four years of just, you know, like sequential storytelling and, uh, you know, day in, day out, like those, that kind of critiques and, and stuff. I, my, Klaus Janssen was a teacher. Walt Simonson was a teacher. You, what um, years were you in there? Were you in there in the early mid nineties? Yeah. 94 to 98. Did you know my friend Evan Gans? Evan was definitely in the program and Rich Pascucci around the same time. Maybe I mean, like with everything, yeah, a bunch of pockets of, of groups. So I maybe at the time, but it's been it's been a minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, like so th- throughout that entire time, that was all, you know, focused on comics. And like I went in with a public school education and a, a you know a pop culture comic book sensibility, and I get in there and um, like the only other thing that I read was Akira. And uh, I get in there and there's just like my mind exploded with everything else, you know, like Robert Crumb and, and you know, Yusagi Ujimbo and all these different things that, that I just wasn't aware of. And so I just sort of became a sponge and was, was taking everything in and, and trying out different, different techniques. I'm still like a, a superhero fan, but I like to, my sensibilities are, are, are a little far afield of that. But um but then after I graduated and I went out to LA, um, full disclosure, my, my former brother-in-law ran a comic book studio. So I was an intern at, at, uh, uh top Cow for a little while. Oh, wow. That was a uh, Silvestri's place, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Still, still is. And, uh, I got poached by a, one of his producing partners to go work at a small, his, own studio and that's how i got work in film and i was building models like the little models that they would uh directors would use to to kind of plan out shots oh wow so the the first gig i had was uh was ai so you know we were on that before uh before they announced and i was like you know toiling through the night trying to figure out how to build you know models out of train kits uh to bring to meetings and stuff uh, that is huge, folks. For if, you, if you're not familiar with the movie AI, uh, it did not go down in history as a great movie, but it is uh, not only directed by Steven Spielberg, it was Steven Spielberg basically finishing a project that Stanley Kubrick was planning on putting together, right? Like it was a Kubrick, I don't know if it was yeah. a script yet, but it was definitely a Kubrick story. Well, yeah, I, well, okay, I'll, I'll tell the story um, because uh, it's fun. Jude uh, Law and the kid from Se- uh, Sixth Sense, right? Yeah. And William Hurt was the dad in that and a bunch of people. But um, so I get poached from Top Cow and 
I'm just, you know, working on these different little, little projects for him, trying to learn how to, how to do what he does. And then he comes into the studio one day, like, listen, um, do you want to work on a movie that is coming out? You got, I can't tell you what it is, but uh, if you say yes, we got to go to a meeting tomorrow morning. So I was like, yeah, sure. That's fine. So next morning we go in and we drive and we're in his Jeep and we drive over to, into Burbank into the, uh, the universal lot. And I'm like, all right, this is cool, man. And uh, we go in and there's all these little bungalows and they're not well marked from the outside, but you walk in and there's the DreamWorks logo. Oh, that's cool. And there's like, you know, like a Norman Rockwell and there's, uh, you know, an Al Hirschfeld on the wall of, you know, Steven Spielberg directing um, Private Ryan. Like, okay, okay, this is cool. And then we go, the reception springs us back into this room, two rooms and no one there's all these like uh, foam core boards with these frames up on the, you know, tacked on uh, Xerox copies and these milk crates with binders and like lining the walls and stacked up. Okay. So we're sitting there and it was me and my boss, Greg and um, Warren Manzer and illustrator. We're waiting for somebody to show up and the guy shows up and it's Rick Carter. I had no idea who this is, but you know, he's worked with Zemeckis and, and Spielberg years at this point and uh he's just like and he knows greg and, and and warren and they're just like you know oh hey 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 this is glenn he's he's gonna be helping out he's gonna be my intern okay was i so rick launches into the whole thing like he's already caught them up to speed and i'm just like sitting there and he's telling the story of ai and he's like but he's going like oh you know um Stanley had been working on this for years and he's worked with this, this one illustrator and he's got all this stuff. So that's what all this stuff is here for. And we want you more to, to, to do keyframe illustrations, Greg, you know, Steven likes your stuff. So he wants you to build models for, for potential sets that they're going to build. And then, uh, and then, you know, tell him the story about AI and leave. I'm like, what the, are we working on a, this in Greg? Like, yeah, this is, this is the project. So, <laughs> buckle up we're going to be doing this for for months so yeah i was on that for like a year i think and they didn't announce that he was involved so for maybe like four months so we were having these meetings with you know like there was kathleen kennedy and spielberg and I wow dennis murin from ilm and all these people uh uh stan winston before he passed away like he was doing all the, the puppet stuff for the robots. And I'm like, holy shit, man, this is like, that's kind of one of the most amazing experiences. <laughs> like, the, I mean, just think of, think of the people. I mean, Dennis Buren and Stan Winston, like basically yeah. um, you're, you're talking the early days of industrial light and magic. Like the things we have now that you see in movies from star Wars, it's like those two cats were at like the yeah. forefront of the team, the original team and Kathleen Kennedy, like, doesn't she literally run Lucasfilm out of Disney yeah. now? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's her thing. And it's fun. There's, I, I made, I, you know, like I was low, low, low. I was underneath the totem pole, uh, you know. So, but I made friends with a couple of the PAs, and uh, one of Rick's, uh, Rick Carter's assistants was this guy named Otis. And during the meetings, he would carry around a little DV camera and he would film. And uh, you know, the project had gotten so big that you know, Greg would oversee all of us and, and he'd hand out little sets to people. So I would, I did the, the, 
the carnival do you remember that flesh fair scene where it's like sort of i have to admit i saw i saw the movie once and was pretty horribly disappointed in it uh i have been having the urge not just because of this story it came up on something i, I was watching something and a scene from the movie came up and part of me wants to like give it a rewatch just to see now without the hype yeah i don't i don't, I don't know if it'll hold up but uh <laughs> but, so this meeting i, I was in i would took care of the, this one uh, model and uh, in the meeting, uh, it, everybody was packed. This is it, the, the movie's been announced that he's been involved. So now everybody's in. So like standing room only and I wasn't allowed in the room. So I'm outside uh, just outside the door and, uh, and you know, Steven's looking at the model and he's playing with the little lipstick cameras that, that we had set up for him. Cause there's little screens that we had uh, put on the model. And, uh, and he's like, Oh, this is really, yeah, this is, there's really good detail on this. And then Rick's like, oh, Glenn did that. And uh, <laughs> uh, seems like, oh, that's good work, Glenn. But he doesn't look up. He doesn't, he's just repeating the name. And Otis spins around with the camera trying to find me. And there's a door and there's people framing the door. And you see my head go. And then after the movie wrap, uh, or after they, they started shooting and, and our involvement was done, I went to go pick up my last check. And Otis like, can I check this out? So he showed me the video of it. So it's floating oh. around. That's amazing. It's such a um, an eye-opening experience the first time you see like the truth of like the bigger world of what goes on behind the film. Like I know um, my thesis film was called Kick the Dog, and uh, you know it was like a, a, a dark martial arts comedy, and uh, it won a bunch of like NYU. I think they called them craft awards. You know, like so I got selected to go as part of an NYU showcase to the DJA in LA just for a screening for an NYU screening. And I was like super stoked. And as part of that, they arranged a tour for Digital Domain. So a bunch of us met at the hotel and they take us to Digital Domain. And it was while Armageddon was being shot. So they bring us into the shooting studio and basically it's um, Grand Central Plaza, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, the train station, Grand Central Station. Yeah. Grand Central Station, right before, right after the, the meteor had collided in, it was that model. So they had just thrashed the model to shoot that. And, you know, they're it, just being blown away looking at all this stuff, like uh, all the hands and, and people that did it. And, you know, of course, now there's a lot less model making that happens because so much happens just purely on a computer basis. Um, but it was just like... Uh, I wish everybody that loves a movie could have an experience like you had or like to walk onto one of those rooms. That's not like at a Universal Studios tour. Right. That's like actually where the work happens. It's, it's truly kind of amazing to see the scope of that. So then you, you, you finish up, you, you know, you do your stint in film. What brought you like, so like what brought you back to New York? And then now you live in North Carolina, right? Yeah. So what brought you back to New York? Okay, so I was <laughs> I was living out in LA with a girlfriend at the time, and it wasn't going great. But uh, worse than that was that my mom had gotten real sick, and um, you know, like she's fine now. But like at the time, you know, I had to, I came back home to help out my dad, and and uh, and he and I never really got along. I we didn't get along, but like there was never really close. Um, but uh, but, you know, at one point when I was back, uh, the doctor pulled us aside and was like, listen, we need to have a real conversation about hospice care. 
and um, so you know, like we had to had to call my sister to tell her to come back and, and have this conversation because it wouldn't be fair to have that without her. And it was before you know, like robust internet connection, so we couldn't even just do this. So she came, and then and remarkably, my mom got got better. But during that, it was like maybe like a three month period where it was really dicey and, and worrying, and and uh, I just had a lot of angst because of that. And I was in my late twenties at the time, and um, just really frustrated about like I was chasing all these different things that I wanted to do and experience, and 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 then I realized like for all my for all my curiosity about about wanting to be an artist and, and learn different things, I when it got real and the real world started real closing in, I couldn't do anything, and I had nothing. Like I couldn't help my mom, and I, I could be there for my dad as moral support, but you know, everything else sort of like the sheen got stripped away from it, and, and I realized like I'm not doing anything that I want to be doing, you know. And uh, so that so after. Thankfully, my mom started getting better, and 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 you know we started getting that uh, stable, you know, evening out. I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna focus on the thing that I that I always return to, which is art. And that and, and soon thereafter, I met you guys, and and you know my uh, my freelance career started you know taking off, and then I was happy about that, and focusing on writing my own thing, and, and yeah, and then got to relationship and came down here. Awesome. I didn't realize you were back in town for a relatively short period of time when we met. Yeah. I, yeah. It's probably, yeah, I, uh, maybe a year or two. Wow. Like I hit the ground running after, after like my mom came out of the hospital and, and, you know, she was stable and, and stuff like that. I, like, I, I started, you know, it, you, you want to, you want to think that, when you're in your twenties and you're an adult and at least from, for me, I was just like, you know, I, I need to figure this stuff out. So if I have to sleep on a couch and just take the bus and, and, you know, do these things that I typically didn't have to do because, and now this is the word that of the day or, or the, the era, but like, I was a privileged kid. I, I didn't, I was in want of nothing. So when, when everything got difficult, I was like, okay, I can, I, I've got a, I've got to, I've got to do the hard thing. If, if, if people that had less than me can do more with what they had, then I, I have no, I have no right to not put everything into what I want. Does that make sense? As- no, it, it totally does. It, it, it's, you know, we bitch, I mean, look, we're, we're like living in New York now. It's like, you know, the rents are, astronomical like it's crazy and to be able to like buy a place or you know it's sort of uh unrealistic for a lot of types of professions right now to some degree some people be like that's that's bullshit and it's like well i had one career where i was able to buy a place with my ex and now like you know my my career situation doesn't allow me that in this part of the you know of the world right the states but i think there's a point where you get caught up doing what you're doing and having an amount of success and however that success is derived, whether it's like you can turn off the work stress as soon as the day is over. You know, some people have that where they can make a nice comfortable living and they have a job that they don't really love, but as soon as they're done, it's like out of their head. You know, like some people have that skill and and, and I often wish I did have that Mm -hmm. skill. I internalize way too much. Um, 
like I can't, you know, it's even sometimes now I think back at like what made me so miserable when I was in visual effects my last, you know, bit, um, what did I learn to hate about it? And it starts to seem like real easy. It's almost like high school in a way. I'm like, oh, it wasn't so bad. And then I remember the specifics of it. I'm like, oh, that sucked. Right. But I also know like a lot of people can turn that off. Yeah. And it's not, it's never like a big thing. It's always, it's like a, it's a death of a thousand paper cuts. It's these little (laughs) things that just kind of build up and dig away at you. Putting it into the comparison of what people have to go through. So like we had this weird incident, I can go in the story a little bit, but uh, where I met a worker uh, who's installing a fence on one of the rooftops outside my window. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, we, we just started talking about well, this, the silly situation that's causing them to have to put up a fence. And he was saying he just got back from two weeks in Puerto Rico. He's actually asking me like, how do I not get my head to burn? Because in the sun, because he's another bald guy. He's like, I was just in Puerto Rico helping my mom for two weeks. And like his mom for over a year now after the hurricanes, you know, is, is still like, apparently, you know, they have power. Uh, her roof would have been blown off. So he went back there uh, to redo the roof once again. But every time it rains, all the flood water brings the sewage right back up. So they're in like their own like, you know, waste um, when it rains. So like we're talking about like, I'm talking about like, you know, the the, the emotional struggles <laughs> of dealing with, you know, uh, agency producers and agency creatives and, you know, odd personalities in, in a field where I'm still making a ton of money. And the fact that I let that get to me to that degree, like I wouldn't let it now. It's actually one of the reasons why I'm sort of like back in a little bit. So I think, you know, Chase Massengill, you might've had some overlap actually at Click3X. Chase and I, like I'm I'm doing some consultant slash production work with them um, as as needed. So I miss the aspects of working with cats like you and with Chase and with Mark and what I want to do is like, I, I also miss using those skill sets of having the conversations, those creative conversations that aren't how to do a kettlebell swing, you know, whatever that, that stuff is. Um, but I also know I don't want to, there, there's people that, there's people that I want to work with. And then there's like situations I don't want to be involved in. And mm-hmm. it's a pretty select group of people that I right now want to be in because I want to have it under my own terms. It's the same way that I end up, you know, you know, now I'm out on my own. It's like, I want everything to kind of be on my own terms so that I can sort of a uh, define my life the way I think it should be um, for myself and, you know, for my family and to start to build my own future as opposed to being a part of someone else's future, if that makes sense. That, I mean, I I come across this uh, down here, like there's, first of all, there's a lot of comic artists down here and writers and, and, illustrators and stuff like that but um that's one of the things that uh, that's a, a constant conversation in this house is like um you know do you want to draw would as much as i love spider-man is that something that i want to do versus spend my time uh, and and creative energy making my own thing because that spider-man check will is great and the, to have my name on a book is awesome, but then that's it. That that money gets spent. It goes to it goes to Duke Energy or or, or food or whatever it is. And then you know, like to have something that lasts that is my own is um, is probably the more fulfilling and satisfying thing. And probably something that if if works out well is the thing that sustains. At the same point, it's like I'll say the cool thing about being able to work on something like spider-man is your initial you're instantly part of the history right whereas like in a commercial world where you're like 
we were part of like the $5 foot long <laughs> subway commercial, you know, history. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's something that like, if somebody could have said like, you know, uh, you're going to work, you're going to go back in cause you're going to work on a star Wars spot. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> like, cause I've done a, I've done a few star Wars related commercials. Um, and oddly for a little while, uh, thanks to my friend, Jeff, like I actually worked at ILM had a commercial sales office. Um, in New York. And that was one of my first jobs out of college. Um, when my film was done. Yeah. It was like, I was like a freelance office assistant at a, at a commercial sales office. And there were three companies under one banner. ILM, uh, I under one roof, ILM was one of them. And, um, I met my good friend Carlos there and it was really bizarre because it was like, suddenly like I am handing out like, or, or making dubs of like Joe Johnston, real to get him commercial gigs yeah it was really sort of crazy yeah i, um, I love his stuff like i think uh captain america the first avenger is, is one of the more underrated it's it, i think it is the most underrated of them all it is such a wonderful adventure story i mean it's got so much heart behind it and i know everybody like the russo brothers are clearly amazing but when they talk about cap finding its stride they talk about it in winter soldier which is one of my favorite probably in top it used to be my top two. I'd say it's probably in the top five now. Um, but Joe Johnston's just, he, he has this way of like, it's almost like he can make everything almost have an Indiana Jones vibe, like just a classic adventure thing, whether it's the Rocketeer or, um, shit, I'm spacing on his other one. Um, First Avenger. And I had another movie in my head that I just completely spaced out. Uh, even even um, Jurassic Park 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's corniness in it because visual effects weren't quite, quite what they needed to be on certain parts of that but he knows where to put a camera yeah but it's exactly what it is it's 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 an adventure movie like the kid with the gear and all that stuff that harkens back to goonies and all the amblin movies and the same thing with the you know you you nailed it it's indiana jones like down to like the the map with the like they're moving from this city to that city and yeah all all these earmarks of of old adventure uh serials and stuff like that i love them and they haven't really like that was maybe the first like uh genre movie that they that they did you know like they're all superhero movies they're all adventure movies but like that was a very specific one and uh and winter soldier was a um, uh dressed up as a superhero movie you know yeah i i think in a weird way it's within the Marvel directors, like there's clearly like uh, several of the repeat directors have like kind of grown to become like, you know, the core, we're the directors of this, even though they keep expanding. And for whatever reason, as a one-off, that Joe Johnson's not a part of that. So you don't really hear from him the same way you'll hear from Whedon who do two, Favreau who did two, but is also like the founding father of all of this thing, basically with Iron Man one and clearly the Russo brothers now. Um, I mean, what those two dudes pull off I, I i on so many levels when people shit talk superhero movies like you know like as a, as a negative genre right now mm-hmm. uh, from a storytelling perspective from a directing perspective what they've pulled off between winter soldier civil war and infinity war is unbelievable yeah yeah and, and also the writers too like to sort of like thread the needle on all these different you know stories and sort of like you know make it all all make sense and i just i, I watched the uh the listen to the commentary on uh, infinity war and you know the the intention behind the writers to to you know weave 
or luckily to weave um, what's that Ragnarok into into you know uh, the beginning of Infinity War and have like that hard right turn of of, uh, of that very specific comedy and lead right into this very dire situation is uh, was, was great and you know like they, they make a big swing for a big movie. Yeah. And they, and they pulled it off. There's a couple of things that I feel like, you know, my, my I can't even say that I have issues with uh, Infinity War in any way. I think there a couple of characters could have had a couple of little bit better moments maybe, but like, holy crap, that movie's um, remarkable. I sat there in the theater just being like, how, you know, if we go back to when we were in high school going to comic book shops, to sit back and think that this has happened. 10 yeah. years, what is it, 16 or so movies? To 20. I, it, it, it's 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 incredible to believe so yeah let, let's look at other genres that have tried to do this right so you have james bond movies but they're not all in continuity whatsoever they have clearly have the different actor thing happening they're just james bond it's a character right so scratch that off the first people that i'm aware of ever doing this would be toho with the godzilla movies where like you would have mothra you'd have godzilla then you have mothra godzilla destroy all monsters probably like the prototype of all of it where you have like eight to twelve uh, m- monsters from various Godzilla films and non-Godzilla films all, all in one film. But even those, not in continuity, um, you know, all, all these re- reboots and things, like there's really nothing else that I can think of that's held it together like that. I mean, even Star Wars, if you want to go through all of them, not counting good ones or bad ones, right? there's only, what, 11? No, not now. There's 10 now, right? Episode 9 will be 11, it's kind of crazy. So it, it's remarkable. But it, it, again, I keep going back to like these points when we were kids where it's like, how is, I, I remember, and I still have these, it's time for me to throw these out. If I go back to my folks house, there's a box of magazines and it's a ton of Thrasher magazines that I probably will never throw out. Um, but there's a bunch of Starlog magazines from the first Batman movie. Batman's and comic book news, like uh, leading to that first one. Cause that was like unheard of. We didn't have a good movie. Like, Look at the old uh, Captain America movie with, you know, had the Red Skull. Uh, I'm forgetting the names. The actor was like a famous writer's son. Um, Is that a Corman movie? It was a Corman movie. And then there was like the Fantastic Four movie that never got released because he was right. going to lose the rights. So he made that one. Right. You know, we had The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren, which up until the TV series was still the best Punisher movie they ever made. Um, there was so little actual quality. We'd have those like 70s uh captain america spider-man tv shows um but but there was really nothing nothing like it and then batman sort of legitimized it to a degree with the michael keaton stuff yeah and then we had like you know even even then when we had like x-men sort of brute i I would say x-men and spider-man spider-man and x-men broke the doors down right x-men proved that you could do a team show a team Mm. movie first time they've actually ever really done that and then Spider-Man was really like, here's like super quality. Like, I think the first two X-Men movies in particular are probably their best ones, in my opinion. And that, that, that's the Spidey, the first Tobey Maguire one was great. And then the second one was, was amazing. That, that sort of like train with Doc Ock, that fight scene was just amazing. But I'll say, I'll say I was talking about this with, uh, with Jess the other day. I was like, um, Blade. Blade was a kick-ass like, comic book movie that sort of like slept on uh on people when it first came out because they're just like oh it's you know a vampire movie like no that's a comic book movie the cool thing about blade was 
not only was it a comic book movie, but that came out at a time when like John Woo and a lot of the uh, Hong Kong action film directors were getting a lot of notoriety, right? Like this was like post Quentin Tarantino naming John Woo and guys like Ringo Lam uh, as like, you know, inspirations. And a lot of films were trying to play sexy with the guns and the martial arts, trying to mimic that. And Blade is the first one that actually authentically pulled it off. I, I'm, I hate that I'm forgetting the director's name right now because I'm always uh, still- Stephen Warrington. That's it. Um, he really pulled off that thing. And Wesley Snipes just owns that character. Yeah. Yeah. And then clearly Blade Two. You get one of my top five directors of all time, Guillermo del Toro. Plus you have Donnie Yen now in it. Plus you have, uh, shit, I'm spacing on his name, Hellboy. Uh, yeah, Ron Perlman in it. It's such a remarkable movie on so many levels. Same clock, because a lot of people like to, like to goof on that movie. And I'm like, I fucking love it. I love that with the, the vampire, the, the jaw unhinged. Oh, yeah. I, that I, 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 I love it. I absolutely love that movie. And, uh, and then clearly like, you know, the misfire, the massive misfire of Blade Trinity, which was kind of like the downward spiral of Wesley Snipes because like that movie was a big bomb. He was very vocal that he didn't like how he was being handled, handled with it. Right. Um, and then shortly after the tax stuff started kicking in. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, not to, not to plug anybody else's uh, podcast, but have you ever listened to, um, uh, how did this get made? And somebody told me I should listen to a specific episode. I have to remember what it was. Was they, it you? They talk, about, they talk about Blade Three, and I think they have Patton on, and <laughs> one of the one of the writers on there, and he tells fucking crazy ass stories about uh, about working with Wesley Snipes, and just <laughs> like they would follow him around and just listen to him have conversations with people, and they would that's how they would punch up the script, which is take shit that he would say to people. <laughs> off of his head and just plug it right into the script i mean people forget now because he's sort of like you know known more for what he did bad than when he did right like wesley snipes was one of the it is from the 80s into the night through the 90s like one of the greatest actors we had definitely yeah i mean mo better blues new jack city um man i'll go even into demolition man i love that movie um <laughs> he was in so much cool stuff white man can't jump Oh, yeah. Kim and I got stuck watching that a little bit like a couple of weeks ago it was on. But if you look at the choices he makes in terms of his performance as Blade, it's freaking brilliant because they're not like what you would imagine. And nobody else would have played Blade the way he played Blade. The other great comic book movie that, uh, you know, was remembered and then like they keep trying to reboot is The Crow. The Crow is one of the best comic book source material to films I've ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, despite I remember like being in film school and I was I was actually like a big martial arts fan. And I was more into at the time Brandon Lee than than Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. And I remember being devastated by that. But when you look at his performance in The Crow, it's kind of amazing. And, and that film is still holds up wonderfully. And they keep talking about doing the reboot and it keeps dying on the vine. I'm kind of happy about that. Like it, the, the, the original such a such a, a a sad legacy to it just just let it live the way that it is and i want i showed it to to jules maybe a year and a half ago and and it, it holds up but i was like wow this is this is uniquely a 90s movie yeah. oh my gosh the whole soundtrack the, the the weird like um industrial nine inch nails marilyn manson influence that's happening it, it's it's just at that time pre-matrix 
You know what I mean? Like it's, it was yeah. pretty groundbreaking in a way in terms of the goth. Like I used to joke about writing a screenplay. Um, folks, when I went to film school, I wanted to write and direct. And it turned out that I was better at producing. So like that's sort of how my career ended up in visual effects producing. But I, I always wanted to have a scene about like a bunch of goths have a barbecue and basically all they eat is rare meat and watch the hunger and the crow. <laughs> like I had that like scene in my head, but I had nowhere to nowhere to go with it. And they would all be like under umbrellas with a lot of sunblock and shit. That's so funny. And just talking about Bowie and because uh... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a lot of options at the time. Those were really it, other than like Hammer films, you know, and like the Universal Monsters. Like that was like your, that was like your literally your goth love letter was the crowd. Yeah. No, I, I would like to kind of part of me would like to see something awesome come back from that because they did unfortunately butcher it to hell like the sequels sucked they there was a crow two and a crow three um and then there was a tv series with a guy that i really like mark Dacascos, who ended up being like an iron chef host guy. yeah <laughs> mark Dacascos is an amazing martial artist um he was in a, the only Capoeira movie that I'm aware of called Only the Strong. Yeah, That's him. <laughs> and he was in the Blade TV series. And the coolest movie, shit, what's the name of it now? It might be simply called Run. When I mentioned how like certain Japanese, right, with, with Dwayne Wayne from, from uh, Another yeah. World, from the Cosby spinoff. Yeah. And, and in this movie, folks, if you can get this movie, watch it. So I mentioned how like Blade was one of the first ones that used this Hong Kong action stuff. People were starting to rip off Jackie Chan stuff. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about Brandon Lee is like, he was one of the first guys, if you watch his movie Rapid Fire, I think directed by Dwight Little in like 91, 92. Uh, Rapid Fire, it's awesome. It's got the late powers booth in it. And the stunts are fantastic like they really like brandon and i think jeff amato is like the lead choreographer on that like they pull off a lot direct doing honor slash rip off a lot of the great jackie chan stuff and really pull it off and then in this movie run what <laughs> mark dacosco has got what like a power heart it's kind of like the movie upgrade now right he's got like some like tech tech heart but yeah the fight choreography in that movie is amazing yeah. And the Costco's can act, and, and so can I'm, I'm forgetting the actor's name. He was in he was in that spinoff, the Cosby spinoff, Another World, which is weird now talking about dated shit. Saying Cosby now has such a different connotation than it did. So let's talk. Let's call that like the Lisa Bonet show now, as opposed to like the other guy spinoff. Um, that, that movie Run in it is that there's a young uh, Brittany Murphy. Before. oh my gosh you're right she's the <laughs> the woman interest in that yeah. folks try to find this movie it'll be a hard one to find but if you're a martial arts fan like deep like you like movies with like uh jackie older jackie chan young Bu, samo hung cynthia rothrock uh you will be wonderfully pleased with the movie run it is not high budget as most martial arts movies aren't um it, it are our most most martial arts movies are low budget uh, but it is like a gem out of like, you know, it was one of those movies you would sit either on cable and it would show up and you'd love it or you'd be like at the blockbuster video yeah. and it would be on the wall and be like, oh, that dude's good in the Capoeira movie. Yeah. I'm going to get that. <laughs> um, let's switch gears a little bit because we've been on a, well, first off, you mentioned the Spider-Man book. What Spider-Man book are you working on? No, I'm not working on any Spider-Man book. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. No, 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 no. If, if given the opportunity, I would love to work on a Spider-Man book, but uh but yeah, no, no, that conversation was just like um, theoretical to some degree. Yeah, like what, what is your, what is your goal 
Because I've seen you draw a lot of sick Spider-Man pictures. That's why I was like, yeah, I, was like I love my <laughs> dude. I, yeah, the Tom Holland in the new movies is fantastic. I, you know, it, he really nails it. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> um, so let's 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 switch gears a little bit because we wanted to mention one of the things. Um, you know, we mentioned now how the younger generation is getting more active, and clearly. Uh, the environment, especially, you know, after what just happened in terms of the, you know, the court cases that just happened, things are super political right now, yes, uh, for, for better or worse. Um, and one of the great things that I, I respect about Glenn is he, he's not just like posting on social media, his things, you're, you're actually super active. Um, what are the, some of the things that you're involved in right now or how are, or maybe a simpler question is just like, how are you going to, about trying to make some changes happen? Um, okay, so we moved down here, and I don't know if our, our experience in New York was that we lived in a progressive city, and everybody that we interact with is more often than not like-minded. So when things like what's going on now happened, we felt comfortable that we were, you know, surrounded by by people that were that would can rally with us, and 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 it, and. It, they didn't work, we didn't show up, then somebody else would. Uh, so then when we moved down here and the election happened and, and some of these policies started coming to pass, we realized that the people that we had made fast friends with, like if, if we didn't affect some sort of change, if we didn't try and uh, push back against some of these policies, the people that we love, people that we care about, be packed up and sent away. And that was a real thing, especially here, because right before we came down, there was this whole HB2 about the, um, about the, the bathroom bill. I call it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like we, we have more, more than a few friends down here that are, are um, uh, transgendered and, and you know, LGBTQ community. And like, it, it didn't sit right to, to, to not be, a participant in that fight or any fight because it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be um, the, the thing that motivates us shouldn't be that we know somebody that could be affected by it we realize it, it, empathy should be the motivating factor for, for everything so when we moved down here it became very apparent and that's how we, we that's how we started uh, getting involved so we started going to like invisible meetings and and stuff, but we found our our group of people uh, through New South Progressives. It's this group, and we here in Charlotte, there was a, a thing called the Extraordinary Events Ordinance, where if if people started gathering a, a group twenty five or more, I can't remember the number, but it that was a threshold that allowed the police to come through and sort of check people. So it was sort of like a uh, a low key. Um, uh, what's the thing that they banned in New York? I can't remember, they, but there was a term for it, but it was, you know, illegal search for, for people. Oh, stop and, stop and frisk. Stop and frisk. Um, so that, but this group that we uh, got involved with, they were instrumental in having the, the, the CMPD uh, reverse that whole thing. So now that's not a, a part of it. And that, and we saw it firsthand how, getting involved and showing up to city council meetings and having your voice heard and talking to cameras, but then also um, having the leadership of, of whatever group that you're a part of 
having access to city council members or the chief of police and luckily having a chief of police that was receptive to some of these conversations um, can institute some sort of change. And uh, so it was one thing after another. And now like we're you know, involved in, I volunteer at a women's clinic that, um, that provide abortion uh, care for, for women. And, you know, we, when I go, I just stand there and I make sure that the cars can get into the parking lot unharassed because the, I, and I'll, I'll send you the link if you're interested, but like this clinic is the most protested uh, healthcare provider in the country. And they wow. these prayer marches that come through and, and I, I know, I know that they mean, well, I grew up in, you know, a Catholic household. I know what their intention is, but intention doesn't mean anything it, when the impact is far more insidious and, and, and damaging to people that just need help. Um, in the few months that I've been, maybe it's about a year now that I've been volunteering there, like to, to see kids that have, literally kids that, that, that have become pregnant through, you know, rape or incest or some horrible, horrible situation, have to travel up from Mississippi to Alabama, through Georgia to come to here because they can't do it at home because they'd be, that, that, that their home life would be utterly destroyed. So they have to travel days or overnight with people that don't exactly agree with them. And so they have to hear this, this, you know, you know, a litany of you're a bad kid and you're making a bad choice, but you know, they get here and they have to still have to go through the procedure and all these different things. And they arrive and there's a wall of people on the, across the street just yelling at them and they have like sound equipment and all this stuff. So that's, a, that's wow. one of the other things that I, I'm, I'm involved with. And uh, uh, yeah, you just show up, you show up to, to do different things, not just the marches, not just the stuff that, that, that gets a lot of media attention, but the stuff that people need you to show up for. I think that's awesome. I know I, I can get better at that. I know when the election stuff was happening and I started making Facebook posts, you know, I clearly lost some friends and yeah. a lot of trainers would be like, you know, um, you know, I'm only going to post, you know, good stuff. Cause I could potentially, you know, there was a weird thing of like monetizing people that like, like I might be shortening my audience or, my, or cutting my reach by posting my beliefs on certain things. And I'm also going to admit, like, I'm just not super politically minded in terms of, like, having, like, an intellectual background in it. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, I was, you know, pretty, you know, I was never a, a, a hate, the hate, hate the cops kind of guy, you know, even as a skateboarder. Like, I know that, like, yeah, I don't want you to throw me out of this pool, but I also know, like, if someone jacks my shit, like, I'm going to be right. calling you, right? Like, I've always had a good frame of mind on that. But, you know, and then... I have to thank, you know, uh, MFF and the people at MFF. So suddenly I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a very, uh, a, a big LGBTQ environment and I'm seeing people, you know, after the election results, just crying. And then I'm seeing people that are literally getting pushed, harassed, spit on, cursed at, yelled at, like immediately. Um, whether or not, you know, even just females that may not be gay, just like across the board. And I think that's a weird one when people were like, stop and wait. It was like, this was pretty immediate. And so there's a lot of, you know, trainers, you know, talk about like, well, you might limit your audience, you know, and, and I've always been okay. Like, I don't want to train everybody. I'd like to help everybody that's like a good person, but I, I don't necessarily want to help people. Like I'm okay helping if, if I can do right by like, 
in my life, a hand, you know, whatever the X number of people that I really do right by that are also great people that I would want to like, you know, uh, hang out with. And that's perfect. Uh, I don't need everybody. I'm not for everybody. I just won't be. I'm the fucking Godzilla nerd, middle-aged Godzilla nerd, you know, um, coach. But I did want to be heard so that like the people that like know to some degree that I have their back, that I'm on their side, at least to a degree. With that, I've always tried to be respectful that not every Republican is a Nazi. I don't think that was the intention. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of people in the military and first responders that, you know, do not align necessarily with us on some other non-racially charged topics or uh, sexuality-based, gender-based topics. But, you know, the immigration one tends to be a big thing. Um, I, I always get a fucking kick when someone, when, when one of my white friends that I know growing up does one of those posts about like, I would be considered racist if I wrote white pride. And I was like, dude, I know you, like you grew up in a fucking town with like, you know, five non-white people. Like how oppressed have you been to even need to claim that in your life? Right. Uh, and then I've also like, you know, like I understand we're a different ethnicity, um, would want to claim pride based on skin color so that they have actually a rallying cry for a community that might not feel like it exists otherwise. Whereas right. like, you know, I'm just going to go by like my actions and, uh, I, I would understand my, um, my ancestry, but I don't necessarily give a shit about this color of my skin um, mm-hmm. in that way. So uh, that stuff is weird. But so I always try to be a little respectful because I think there's some misguided things and there's some opinions. And, you know, I think things have gotten a little heated too far on both sides where I know I've been actually had people like rail, rail at me for various reasons and then friends not defend me as if I was some sort of alt-right fucker um, on social media because, you know, people are allowed to express their hate on either end of the fence. And, and I'm just not one of those guys. Like the, the, the true answer is going to be closer to the middle than far right and far left. Like otherwise it's just like, nothing's going to move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Compromises have to be made in some ways. It's just like, let's have this conversation. And I think the thing now is we've lost this ability to talk. We've lost the ability to agree to disagree and when it comes to stuff like, you know, the, the protesting outside, uh, uh, whether, whether, whether you believe in abortion or gay marriage or not, like, I'm going to disagree with you if you don't believe in, in people's rights to that stuff. But right. my bigger issue is when you, um, you try to get in their way of doing it, right? Like, that's the problem for me. Like, I don't, I'm not going to change your mind on something. But when you try to get in the way of somebody else's, and when they say, like, one side's not better than the other, it's like, well... If you're over on the left side of this thing trying to like promote gay marriage, well, it's because you're trying to actively stop it. So now I have to come up versus just let them fucking let, let people do what they want to do. Right. Right. And we, we're losing that because all we're seeing is a, a, a two sided battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that the frustrating part. So I, I actually really love that you also said not just the marches, because I think like the smaller things are where you tend to learn the most because you have the opportunity to work with people. Yeah. Yeah. Directly. You know, and the. Marches look good in pictures. I don't like crowds of people. And I also think it's really easy to, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm going to get like a lot of maybe hate posts. Maybe I'll get my first hate post off of this. I think it's really easy to like, you know, stand in a crowd. I think it's much fucking scary to stand up to somebody when it's a one-on-one or a two-on-one or a three-on-one. Right. Um, Like, like, like lifting weights, like mountain biking, like anything else, like there's an inherent risk to your, yourself or the people around you when you when you engage in these things and a crowd is better 
to to shield you because people won't go you know scream at a crowd typically um and uh you know, I, we <laughs> we went you know there, there's there, there's there's the women's march there's a science march and there's big things and everybody can get together and, and feel comfortable and i went to a, a a march for immigrants uh that was um organized by uh, a local immigrant advocacy group and it was just just immigrants uh and it wasn't a fake you know because it wasn't the it wasn't the, a media storm and it wasn't super sexy and, and you know there wasn't celebrities involved in it so we're walking and, I, and i'm only telling this as, a, as an anecdotal thing to just you know you, you have to be aware of what's happening you know don't it's not a game but we're walking we're walking and toward the end of it i was meeting up with uh, uh somebody and we were at the tail end so we had separated like they kept marching along we had separate and somebody came out of their house with an ar-15 and it was like flipping us off and just not wave not pointing at anybody but just waving it we're just like somebody took a picture of them and we're just standing there nobody nobody's bothering him nobody came up to his door nobody walked across his lawn this was on a major roadway and it would some you know like the, to your point about people need to have conversations that there's people that have zero interest in having conversations that that's not definitely that, true not that not that they you know like there's a confrontation and people lose their minds this person went from you know watching NASCAR or golf outside. I'm going to grab my gun and scare them off. And, and, and that's, that's also a reality too. And, you know, but you do it because nobody else is showing up. Like you don't have the media showing up for these kind of things. And, yeah. Uh, I hope that it all works out. And you I, keep I, head about it. I, I keep trying to think that this is, uh, you know, we're in empire strikes back right now and, and, you know, we're going to hit return of the Jedi. <laughs> But then I realized that, like, well, shit, we know how it goes in Force Awakens and Han dies. So uh, <laughs> I don't use that analogy anymore. But I, I, I will say I think it's rad that so many of us, like myself included, that weren't really paying attention to a lot of stuff are now, like, uh, more aware. Um, I know, like, my daughter uh, is, you know, when she was looking for middle schools and when she's thinking about what she wants to do, she wants to either look into writing or politics. Like, she – my kids will, like – bust on trump to a point where i'm like guys just shut up i don't want to hear about it anymore they really don't know like all of what's going on you know they know these broad broad brush strokes of like public opinion but you know my daughter is very bright and if she gets to go into politics that's somebody we want fighting for us and uh, that might be the good thing you know like you know how if we want to bring this full circle how like maybe you didn't know if like comic being a comic book artist was like a, an actual realistic career how i didn't know becoming a filmmaker or something wasn't a, a, a realistic career maybe this is the moment where my daughter like you know inspires people like my daughter to be like you know what being a politician is a realistic career and maybe we can do some change and again like you know <laughs> who knows if she ends up working for the mob and taking bribes or anything down the line. But, you know, it's like, it's like, I think that's kind of like a, a, a positive, um, you know, and, 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 and all we can hope for right now in a way is folks like you to stay active, but also like as time passes, like, like let's hope he doesn't fuck up more and more and more until the next election. And then we get to use our voice and maybe people will use their voice more effectively or more efficiently or more in, in a more educated manner then burn votes and, and, and stuff like that, you know? Um, but 
again, I, it, it is a little bit outside of my realm. I try to keep it like I can't go into the history of every president and every, you know, all of those things. All I can try to do is the, the view of like common human decency. And uh, I try to be as open minded as long as people aren't hurting people. Um, yeah. It's when you try to get in the way. That's what fucking pisses me off. I just don't like when you try to get in the way of non harmful stuff yeah. that doesn't affect yeah. you. I, at the at the clinic, you know, you, these people are literally jumping into the streets and and like stopping cars and trying to hand pamphlets through the window and, and, and just just interrupting their day of a already, already shitty day, yeah. um, and uh, and yeah, it, it boggles the mind. Like, there's cops on hand that that you now since we've been uh, or the the people that that run the the volunteers they've been more vocal so they've been getting cops down and they've been having conversations so they're they're more on the ball about giving citations out to these people that, that jump in front of cars and stuff but like yeah i mean if you if you if you've ever seen it you'd lose your mind if, if that's the thing that, that bothers you the most is is um people getting in the way of other humans just trying to live their lives unbettered um that yeah you would you'd be you'd lose your because you know it's interesting it goes it goes deeper than just like a religious background and stuff too and then that was an eye-opening thing you know one of the groups i teach for uh original strength has a heavy christian background and they're completely you know non-judgmental open to everyone and it it's so like um it really changed my mind and how i approach like religion was always like a weird thing for me um yeah. me too if anything, like I consider myself probably more like Taoist Buddhist in nature, a little bit more like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like really amazing to see, you know, how they view people and how they look at the world and like how like, oh, right, that's the good side of all of this versus like some of this other stuff is like the dark side, you know, the downside of all this stuff. I remember like we, there was, a, I guess a clinic, I didn't even really realize it, like by the local mall by me not far and there'd be like five or six like old people like you know out front trying to bitch about something and it was so like we would just we were just young punks giving him shit like as we would go skate by kind of laughing at him at the time um you know it's it's uh it's weird times um i i never expected to hear russia in the news quite so much as we do you know it feels very 1980s uh again <laughs> Um, I keep hoping there's going to be some new, you know, version or uprising in like aggressive music to kind of combat this. Um, I'm, so I'm sort of waiting for like the swell. I feel like the arts starting to happen. Um, mm -hmm. But I keep thinking like, what's the, what's the next like music thing that's going to fucking come up and like rebel against all this stuff. But who knows, you know, who knows, but um, it's fucking crazy. But uh well, we're Let's getting see. another Creed, and it's going to be, uh, uh, was it? Uh, oh, Drago's yeah. Son? <laughs> Drago's son. Right. Dude, Creed. You know, oh, just, just, Creed, Creed 1 was actually, I remember seeing that in a theater. Like, I was looking forward to it. And then I'm like, holy shit, I'm watching another Rocky movie in a theater. That's like, right. just as good. Because I like Rocky Balboa, too. Like, I'm a big fan, actually, of a lot of Sylvester Stallone's later stuff. Like, mm -hmm. Rocky Balboa, Rambo 2, um, uh, and Creed, like, He's amazing and expendables are super fun, at least the first one. Um, I, never see, I, I never saw that. I saw you know what I really love of this is um Copland. Oh yeah. yeah. So the 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 producer of that movie 
Yeah. Uh, did the director who, uh, J- James Mangold, who went on to do, you know, 310 to Yuma and Logan, yeah. his yeah. first film was called Heavy. And the producer of that film, I'm forgetting his name right now, came out and actually spoke to my class at NYU. So I've always sort of tracked him. And Copland was the follow-up to this movie, Heavy. This Heavy's like a real low indie uh, mood film. Like, it, it, it's okay. heat. It's a character thing. It, it, it's deep okay. and dark. Um, yeah, I, I, I love his stuff. Uh, 310 Yuma is great. Logan is fantastic. It, it had- and the Cash one, uh, Walk the Line, amazing movie. Oh, shit, that's right. He did that one, too. Yeah, he's great. Great director. You know, seems to have his shit together. Um, this is what I wanted to sort of wrap this up on. When You know, we, this this brings it full circle between, like, you know, how we, we talk about millennials in the beginning, and we talked about, you know, w- with all this culture stuff, we talk about, like, the, the rise of political correctness. I was talking so, with one of the classes today, and one of the things that, like, when people talk about, like, you know, how it used to be in political correctness is, like, there, there were certain uses of words in movies that we just took so for granted because, like, yeah, maybe kids spoke this way or not. But every time, like, so I let my kids watch Teen Wolf finally, right? Uh, maybe a little premature, but, like, they're, they're, they're educated. They know not to pull certain shit. They're not going to surf on top of vans, right? Although I had to stress right. that. But there's a part where, like, they casually, like, uh, where, where Michael J. Fox is telling his buddy, can I tell you something? And, and the friend Styles is like, you're not going to tell me you're a fag, are you? And he's like, no, I'm not a fag. Now, there's a fag line in Monster Squad. There's a fag line in Goonies. These are kids' movies, right? So when I look at, like, the rise of political correctness, like, maybe it's fucking great that some screenwriter's going to think twice before they write that, right? Like, those are the things that, like, I had no idea as a kid, like, how that would hurt people. Because at the time, I didn't realize that I had friends that were gay. Um, and now I do. And I realize that my friends, so I have friends from then that are gay. Um, and as much as I'd like to think I, I, I tended to come out more open-minded, um, I also know that I was, you know, like we were all in a pretty much all white town. Now we've joked about this a little bit because you're a Filipino descent, right? Okay. Two of my best friends, like my, my, one of my first best friends, Tom Filipino, my, my best friend Domel Filipino. So I, I happen to, you know, always be around that. So it sort of opened my eyes up and, being into movies, certainly when I saw, um, <laughs> I went to do the right thing, like the morning after I lost my virginity. And I remember coming out of that movie thinking like, holy shit, I'm like the most enlightened dude in Levittown, Long Island. And now my acne is <laughs> going to clear up. I really thought that was going to be a real thing. You probably um, were. <laughs> and I, I just think like, you know, kids have this opportunity a like through the internet to run their businesses and, and, and create ideas without having to invest in stock and storefronts. Like now as a comic book, you don't need a publisher. You can make your own comic book, yep. right? You can write your own books. Now folks, you can make your own movies on your fucking phones. Like we, we really live in almost an, an excuse free zone in a lot of ways, unless you're, you specifically want to do something that requires heavy machinery, heavy tech or a physical workspace. Right. Um, and for any of those kids that are growing up that might be like, you know what? I think I might be gay that don't have to go and watch a kid's movie or a teen movie that just casually fucking bashes them without realizing, or maybe they did. I don't know. It's just a weird thing that I'm really grateful would change. Cause when I hear those lines in the movie now, uh, sometimes you don't expect it. Like I don't remember those movies as having that. And it fucking, it's like a punch in the gut every time it comes out and you're like, man, that's like a harsh one. It's not like shit or dick or jerk or, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I was, you know, raised half partial Jewish. Um, it'd be like, you know, casually calling someone a kike. 
Like, it's just not fucking cool, right? And that was a word you heard more back when I was a kid, you know? Um, It's it's weird. So when, in this thing of political correctness, I think people are thinking that, like, everybody wants everything to be nice and even and safe. And I don't think it's that. I think it's like, why don't we be a little bit more mindful that we actually, you know, don't just assume everyone is exactly like us. Because, like, we're more of the same than different. But, like, that doesn't mean we're exactly the same and are going to find the same things. It's fucking really weird. Anyway, I, I'm, I wanted to bring that up because it literally hit me so hard last night watching Teen Wolf. And you don't think Michael J. Fox, Michael J. Fox saying that. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, man. And then I, it's like every time I hear this in one of these movies from the 80s that I was a big fan of, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So Monster Squad, that, and, uh, and Goonies. And you're like, shit, like, how would you not feel weird watching these movies with all of your friends? Yeah, no, you know, the, we... With, with like Netflix and, and Hulu, you, know, you can watch all these shows from like the 80s and stuff, like classic TV shows. You watch the first season of Cheers and like it, there's like homophobia in it and, and all that, but they address it and they try and try, but like there's just things that, that sort of slip by because that was just the way that people uh, talked about things back then. And, and you, you watch it, wow, this, this this was a cultural milestone, they, or, or Frasier even, like you know, a decade later, in, 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 well into the '90s, and uh, and you see how like those uh, those behaviors and that that sort of uh, language just was accepted and made it into mainstream shows, and you had viewership of like 17 million a night whenever it aired. So yeah. how do you how do you combat that when that was the entertainment of the time? And uh, no, I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad that people are more um, uh, cognizant of what goes into their scripts. And I'm a firm believer in somebody that, that makes stuff that when you have more restrictions placed upon you, it forces you to be more creative and, and solve problems in a way that you wouldn't if, if they weren't there. I mean, one of, you know, one of the, the, the worst things when I have like a, a commission come through and they're, they're like, oh, uh, artist choice. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, the work is me drawing for you. I don't think <laughs> you work even more to figure out what you, I'm not a mind reader. Tell me what you want and I'll do it. So I think, uh, I think, you know, restrictions is a good thing. Uh, and, and, uh, and <laughs> being cognizant of a wider world can only make you a better writer and a better actor and a better creative and a better person. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That was kind of wonderfully said, Glenn. I think, I think we can actually wrap this one up on that note. But of all the ideas I've asked you, let's switch, we'll, we'll bring this one home. Of all the ideas for your thumbnail art, what's the weirdest one I've asked you? I don't know. You know, I don't have my, my thing in front of me. Let's see. Um, off the top of my head? I don't know. You know, okay, the, the, the most recent one, the... the, the um, the sword swallower or the unicycle one that those are those are one the the cyclist you know like that was fun to draw like glenn is the glenn is one when she's riding a bike but uh but you know like i i get the i get the after you showed me the uh is it the the dumbbells not the dumbbells the the guy he was spinning stuff and oh yeah the indian clubs yeah james that's the stuff that I, i like the most personally is when like you know i haven't listened to the episode yet it hasn't come out yet because i'm doing the artwork for it but i'm like holy shit he has a sword swallower on there or you know i, I used to be an <laughs> avid cyclist so i'm like oh i'm 
listen to this one because you know I want to hear what somebody has to say about riding bikes. Um, but yeah, I, it's always it's always fun, and it's you know like I I was always a fan of Godzilla, but I'm not the, I'm not the super fan that you are, and like with, I don't know all these characters. Sometimes you're like, oh, it's this, and I have to Google who this character is and what they look like and and all that stuff. But it's fun. It's fun to it it definitely forces me to 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 stretch my legs in a different way. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I look forward. You have, although you just said you hate having free reign. This is your episode, so you get to draw <laughs> what you want for it. Um, yeah, no, no, I got, I got something. I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you something when I, when I put it down on paper. Awesome. Uh, anything you want to promote? Where can people follow you? Uh, just uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter is uh, at Glenn Urieta, G L E N N U R I E T A. And, uh, and my website is, uh, same thing, glenreader.com. But, um, yeah, I don't really have anything. We, the, the, the one show that I do a year is, uh, Heroes Con here in Charlotte and that, that passed. And, and, uh, but right now I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, hungering down and, and writing and, uh, trying to get this, uh, story broken for this uh, book that I want to have ready for next year. So, awesome. but if anybody has permission, feel free to reach out. I'm always down to, to draw for whatever yeah glenn's super talented i'm not just saying it because he's on the show and he drives through the thing like literally folks he is somebody that like we can go back and back up that i would hire to work on my jobs um <laughs> before we were close friends just because he, he he delivers and he's super talented and his style shift he's got more styles than you see just in the godzilla things but sometimes i'll i'll see a picture he posts and i'll like mention a reference of it like uh you know, an influence or something. So, uh, Glenn, you get to do it. Tell the listeners to die mighty. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on first of all, and, uh, apologies for the meandering sort of, uh, thing. I don't think we talked about art nearly as much as I thought we might've, but, uh, but I hope somebody get, got something out of it. No, you don't have to apologize. These are conversations. Everyone's like, I'll do better next time. I'm like, you can't do better in a conversation. It's just a conversation. But, uh, but thanks for listening and die mighty folks. Hey, uh, Glenn, thank you so much, man. Uh, cheers to year one. Uh, cheers to many more. <laughs> Let's hopefully maybe at some point we can monetize this a little bit. But in the meantime, it's super fun. Um, I will say like folks like trainers, if you're looking for like uh, creative ideas for logos uh, that would have like, you know, character based stuff. Um, Cause a lot, I see a lot of like superhero theme things used like reach out, man, have some, have someone legit as fuck do that shit. T-shirts, posters, branding, whatever. Glenn's, Glenn's awesome. Um, and any of my, uh, former ad world filmmaker buddies. And if you need a storyboard artist, hit, hit Glenn up. Um, listeners, all, all the former guests of the last year. Um, thank you so much for listening to this show. Uh, putting up with my <laughs> radio voice. I'm doing the finger quotes. Radio voice. This show has been very eye-opening to me uh, on many levels, learning how to listen to somebody, how to just have a conversation um, in a slightly professional context, because a lot of the times I feel like professional fitness social media is so, so sort of forced uh, with a specific pointed hand. And these if anything, these talks have less and less topic points and more and more, let's just see where this goes. And I think that's more interesting for me at least. So I hope that's carrying over. Um, there's plenty of other fitness podcasts if you want to have a specific topic or whatever. 
um, you're never going to see just the header. This is the episode we talk about fat loss or we talk about kettlebell swings. It's just as a single item thing, never going to happen. So um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of the guests. Um, uh, uh, if you would like to just do me a favor, if you've listened for th- to three or more episodes of this show, right? So not just your buddy, but like you're into three or more of these shows. Do me a favor at iTunes and just give me a rating, please, or subscribe because I want folks like Glenn and the other guests to get seen more. So it's not just about the show growing. It's about the guests getting more uh, visibility to help them potentially to share what they, what they bring to the table. Um, so if you do a review, that would be awesome. Or a rating, just like hit, hit the five stars, hit the five stars. It's real simple, real, take you real five. Super simple uh, on iTunes. But more importantly, just keep listening. And again, thank you to my patrons that do financially support the show and have allowed me to get this nice new microphone. Um, Brian McMaster, Julian Carter, Victor Reyes, and uh, my brother from another, James Newman. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, next week, Coach Fierce, Hannah Fons is on the show, kicking off the official start of year two. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer. 